We have a few minutes, and in those few minutes, I want to bring a, a little different message. Um, Jason asked if I had my normal outline, and I said no. I thought I might, but I was afraid we might get to 1120, and I didn't think you'd like my normal outline at 1120. So we're going to do a little more devotional um, word from God's Word. John 14 is one of those passages that has become so bumper stickerish in our day. You know, that's, that's so t-shirt oriented. And uh, in these recent days, the, the t-shirts have moved from, I got a mansion on the hill, which was kind of the southern gospel t-shirt, and, and now, in circles I run in at least, in churches like ours, the bumper sticker has become, I will not leave you as orphans. And I see it plastered over internet and website and t-shirts and bumper stickers, literally. And part of me is really excited about that. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. It's the words of Jesus in John 14, verse 18. That's our Lord speaking. That's our brother. That's our friend. That's the one who's given everything so that we would not be orphaned in the world. And yet, uh, the part of me that's excited about the, the message on the t-shirt, the bumper sticker, the website, is that the message seems to be spreading about God's love for us and His amazing adopting of us into His family through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the physical adoption process is becoming more and more mainstream. And, uh, and that excites me. I, when I think that one family in every church could adopt children in the United States, and foster care would become almost meaningless at that point. We talk about, well, it's impossible to, to, to accomplish the task. Not when you start breaking it down into thinking, okay, we have orphans, we have those in adoptive need here in the States. I'm not going to China, I'm not going to Africa, I'm not going to Russia. Okay, stay at home. Adopt a United States citizen who doesn't have a family, and we can, one family from each church, doing that, making that decision, would almost render a, a foster care unnecessary. Almost. Well, that's wonderful. So the message is becoming more mainstream. This idea of adoption is becoming more mainstream. And yet, I think it's becoming trivialized by some. And others are annoyed by it. Because they see it as somebody else's job. Or somebody else's pet ministry. And so now they see it as in our faces. We're not adopting, so these people are just on this crusade about adoption. And it bothers me. It upsets me. And so I think both is happening, and that part grieves me. Because I look at the passage in John 14, 18, and see the heart of Jesus. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. What context are we in? We're in the upper room. We're in, the, we're in the upper room in the middle of what's known in John as the upper room discourse. What's the setting? Jesus has taken off His outer cloak. 
his robe of honor. He has taken that off. He has wrapped himself with the towel. He has taken the basin of water. He has washed his disciples' feet. He has modeled for them servant leadership in a way that none of us really connects with or understands. It's not like taking the garbage out even. I mean, he's done something that in his culture was beneath any Jewish man, much less the master, the teacher. And so we're in this setting, this intimacy with Jesus and his men. Judas has left. Judas is, Judas is left to do, as Jesus says, what's in your heart. Go and do it quickly. And so he's left with just these few, these men here, surrounding him at the table of the Lord's Supper, communion, the Passover. He has just eaten the most intimate meal in Jewish culture with these men. He has celebrated the Passover of God. When Passover was celebrated, the Jews remembered that they once were slaves in a foreign land known as Egypt. Egypt had become a place of sin. It had become in some ways thought of like an orphanage. They were left, so the world thought. They were despised by their father. They were put out here in the, in the nation of Egypt to be nothing but brick makers the rest of their life. They had been abandoned, but that wasn't true. And the Passover brought that back to reality. That God did not forget His people, nor the promises He made to His servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But as a father would, He came to them and delivered them out of the orphanage of Egypt. He delivered them out of the slavery that they had suffered under for generations. 430 years had passed, but God didn't forget His promises. And so He brought the the nation out, the Passover. And that meal where the lamb was killed, slaughtered, and the blood was splattered across the doorpost and across the gate so that the death angel passed by them without taking their firstborn son. That's what they just had commemorated. This is them sitting around the table having just eaten this meal. Jesus has given them already a great commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. Jesus is in the moments before His death, literally the hours before He is betrayed. And He is bringing to memory all the things that are deepest embedded in His heart for His men and His disciples to know. And for the church, for us. He comes to, we come to John 14 and we see here the fear that must have been. Can you imagine? These men are starting to connect the dots. Jesus is talking about being betrayed and now he's talking about loving people and he's got, it sounds like a farewell speech and it's starting to kind of foggily come together in their minds that something's afoot. Jesus is trying to tell us that something terrible is about to happen. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my house there are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. But, but what, what about these dwelling places? What gives us the right to these dwelling places? Well, we jump down into the text and we see <clears throat> what gives us the right. When asked, 
We don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way in verse 5. In verse 6, Jesus responds, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Philip seems to ask a pertinent question. Show us the Father, and that'll be enough. If we could just see God, that would be enough. Jesus' correspondence with Philip is very plain. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But where is all of this coming from? Where is the idea and the promise that we would have a place to dwell, a place to live? Where is the idea that there's a place we're going and a Father that we can't see, but yet we have seen if we've seen Jesus? Where is it coming from? It's coming from the heart of John 14, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. The reality is God takes His enemies and makes them His children. And He makes the promise that He will not orphan His children. He will not leave them. Tori Hansen was a mother who made a decision to adopt from Russia. She wanted someone to love her. She needed to fill a void in her life that had yet to be filled. And she thought, I can adopt this beautiful child from Russia. And by doing that, I can fix the child and fix me. She got on a jet plane, flew halfway around the world, brought home a son. Not many days passed and she realized not only could she not fix this son, but he didn't fix her problems. So she did what Rebecca told you about. Tori Harris, Hanson, reaching the end of her rope with her child, her newly adopted child, put a note with him and put him on an airplane back to Russia. Describing that she believed they had given her a child <clears throat> that, quote, had too many psychological problems. Quote, I'm not well equipped to care for this one. The Russian government was embarrassed. You see, Russia is the third largest exporter of adopted children in the world. And they're not proud of it. They're in a terrible condition economically. They have high, high abandonment rate of children because of alcoholism, because of out-of-wedlock -wed pregnancies, and because of a small and shrinking economy and high unemployment. But up until this point, they had tolerated what they saw as not the best thing, that is adoption. They were allowing it. But this one note and this one action brought it all to a screeching halt. The government made a wise decision, in my opinion. It's not a decision that had I been in Rebecca's shoes, I would have been happy about. But there's something repulsive about taking a child as yours and then withdrawing your promise. This is a system that has to be rethought. This is an idea that has to be re-examined. I don't fault them for doing it. 
But in this story, we find we find that our Father will not leave us as orphans. You see, we're not Tory Hansen. There's families in here that have adopted and others that will, that I believe will, until their dying breath, love their adopted children as their own. But that's only because we have the greatest adoptive father as a model. Where does the promise of having a place to live and where does the promise that there's a way to see the Father, where does it root? In the heart of a God who says, you're my children and I won't leave you as orphans in the world. That's where it comes from. That's where it comes from. We all have bedrooms in the house of God because He has a heart for the orphan like you, like me. Now, what are the differences between a Tory Hansen and God? Well, we immediately see one big difference, don't we? She's not God, and neither are we. But there's a bigger thing I want to emphasize to you, one thing I want to show to you. Tory Hansen adopted a child to fix her problems and to fix her child. God adopts his children with no thought of a need to fix himself. No void that he's trying to fill in his own heart. He's not primarily adopting his orphans to fix them, though he does do that. So what is God motivated by with this idea of not leaving His children as orphans, but coming to them? God's desire is to image Himself and His glory into His children through a relationship. That's God's heart. That's God's desire. Not, He is not like so many of us who thinks that by fixing others we get some kind of satisfaction because it somehow fixes us. He's not doing it for those reasons. He's doing it because he has no problems. Because he has no failures. Because he has no faults. And because he wants to image his glory into those children that he chooses as his own. The secondary cause of that in the life of the child is the child is fixed. But the primary thing that is seen is the glory of God. So how do we apply that in our adoption ministry? We don't adopt children because there's 143 million of them in the world without parents. I think that number's astronomically low. Most experts would say we're over 200 million orphans in reality in the world. But that's not the main reason or motivation for adoption. It shouldn't be. Not for us. If it is, we may end up like Tory Hansen, sending them back. The problem that we are the reason, the motivation for our adopting cannot be that we have a void in our life we're trying to fill. Because trust me, these orphans, when they come home, will only cause more problems, not fill voids.
And our main motivation cannot be to fix them. Make them better. What is our motivation? The only right motivation is to say, my God imaged Himself by putting His Spirit in me to have a relationship that His glory might show to the earth and my desire in adopting these children or this child is to mimic my Father's actions that His glory might expand to the ends of the earth. That has to be the motivation. It can't be anything but that. If it's anything else, it will fail. Notice that Jesus says you have a place, you have a way, and you have a Father. That all comes out of we have a God who has a heart for spiritually orphaned people. And His solution is to come to them. He does that through His Spirit. And Paul, taking this very teaching, applies it in Romans 8. As we end, I want to look at Romans 8. And then I want to connect the two. In Romans 8, the Bible says, verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery. Notice he's bringing up the imagery of slavery to sin, which was the imagery of Egypt to the Israelites. It's all connected. You aren't giving a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. God legally made us just or right before Him. He satisfied His wrath on the cross and the sacrifice of His Son, but He did something even more intimate than satisfying the justice and wrath of God. He made us His sons. He took the legal step of adopting us into His family through the process of salvation. By whom this spirit of adoption that's in us, the Holy Spirit, cry out to Him, Abba, Father. So this is a real relationship that God desires to have with you, Christian. It's a real relationship. This is not God trying to fix His problems. This is not God just trying to fix you. He did that when He justified you. Your problem was fixed. You no longer were under the wrath and condemnation of God. You were free. He didn't have to take the further step of adopting you. He could have saved you and let you go. Saved you from His wrath. He was not obligated to make you part of His family. He did that for another purpose. That was to image Himself to spread His glory. To have a real relationship. And in, He put Himself in us through the Spirit. And we cry out, Abba, Father. And I told you I would connect these two. We were in John 14. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And out of that, we see the heart of God that gives us a place, a way, and a relationship with the Father. But Jesus said that. And He immediately leaves the upper room. You know where He went? He went to Galgoth. He went, he went before Galgoth. He went, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. What did He do there? He agonized. He prayed. And what was it that he called God? Abba. You see, 
We were adopted into the family of God so that now we cry out to Him as our Abba Father. The most intimate term for being a father in their language was Abba. How did we gain this Abba relationship? Through the Son agonizing, dying. The one true Son who had every right to call His Father Abba suffered and died. You know, I often have people will say to me, well, adoption costs a lot. I immediately in my mind think, not as much as it costs to adopt me. You see, it was no money, silver, gold that adopted us. It was the blood of our brother, the firstborn. It was in that upper room where Jesus had exemplified to them the heart of a servant. It was in that upper room that he ate the meal of the Passover lamb with them. That he told them, I won't leave you as an orphan. It cost God his son. What he spared the people of Israel from in Egypt, he took on himself. He died so that he might have sons. Price, the place, the way, it all leads us to one relationship, right? So some of you have not come to your father. He is your father, but you've not come to him. You have, for weeks, for months, you have avoided Him. So He says, I've come to you. I've come to you. Come to me. If you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. The beauty of adoption in the heart of God is that He images Himself the motivation for our adoption is the same, that we image our Father. And the result of adoption is we are accepted into a family. Not just made right, but made a son. So much so that we who have been forgiven and adopted, you as a church have chosen to be a part of adoption. God is pleased. He's pleased with the ministry of adoption. It's not a bumper sticker. It should not annoy you. But yet it should bring you to see His glory and remind you of the relationship that you have with Him. When you see these adopted children, you have a great opportunity to see your relationship with God.